I challenged us to seek a calling that compels us to do something that is so near and dear to your heart that you cannot not do it. You know, woe is to me if I don't do this, as Paul says. So I asked the question, you know, what, what compels you to do what you're doing? If you're doing something, you know, hopefully you have that, that compelling urge from the Holy Spirit. Man, I, I need to reach people. I need to do something with my life for the cause of the gospel. And then I challenged us to learn to adopt our lives to the good of others. You know, how can I be more accommodating to the people God has placed in my life so they'll be more receptive to the message of Christ? You know, how can I learn, as Paul said, to be all things to all men? You know, how can I change my approach in such a way that it will benefit the lives of others. Now, we're not talking about compromising the gospel. I would challenge you, if you're not part of the, uh, the Baseline Christian Fellowship Facebook page, read an article I just posted yesterday from Dr. Michael Brown uh, as he addresses the issues right now going on with Andy Stanley and, and allowing homosexuals to preach at a recent conference he had in the last week. And it's like, no there needs to be repentance and a call for repentance there. And I thought the article was so good, I posted it on our church Facebook page. You can read that there. Uh, but, I, but I really challenged us uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, become all things to all men. You don't compromise the gospel. You stay true to the message of the gospel. But if I can change a little something here or my delivery or my approach or whatever, uh, I will do that for the sake of the salvation of others. And then I challenged us to run our Christian race to win, you know, run with excellence. Everything that followers of Christ should do, should do for the glory of God. Uh, you know, you've received the abilities, you've received in your calling giftings from God. Make sure that you do the very best with what God has given you. And, and uh, you know, in other words, keep your focus ultimately on the end goal. The, that is to the, the finish line if you're in this race. And, and so we're going to pick up this morning where we left off two weeks ago looking at, as I said, the final four verses of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where we're going to talk about you know, what it means to uh, pursue our calling once again and to live out our calling and, and to do it with what I call tenacity. I love that word. I use that word quite a bit. Another word might be perseverance, but basically the word tenacity can be defined as the persistent determination to hang on and never let go. If there was ever a time where the body of Christ needs to be exhorted, it is to be exhorted to persevere. Friends, we are living in uncertain times. We are living in uncertain days, and I believe the church of Jesus Christ ought to be tenacious in, in the church's pursuit of more of God, the church's pursuit of being light in a dark world, to be the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that God can use to make a difference in the lives of others. And so tenacity, uh, persistent determination to hang on, to never let go, to stay with something to the very end. See, this was Paul's attitude toward his ministry, toward his calling. It's an attitude that every Christ follower needs in their own lives. As they said, we should emulate this as we established a couple of weeks ago. And, and honestly, without tenacity, without perseverance, nothing we do will last. 
And I can guarantee you, uh, when you take on perhaps a new role of leadership, be it in your family, maybe at work, in your church, in your community, in your neighborhood, wherever it might be, you will have an opportunity at some point to throw in the towel and say, you know, I quit, I'm giving up, I'm giving in, this simply isn't worth it. There will be a time when walking away from it all will seem like the most attractive option to you and it will be the easiest thing to do. That's what it seems like. But at that point, you have to decide, am I going to keep on keeping on in spite of the challenges, in spite of the difficulties, you know, uh, as, as you take on maybe more leadership responsibilities from God in your family, as I said, in your, in your job or whatever it might be. Now, most of our failures... Most of our failures are the result, I believe, of simply quitting too soon, giving in. Now, as you know, and I've used my gardening illustrations before, but I love to garden. I, I enjoy growing things. I, I, I st even though I'm getting older, I still enjoy landscaping and doing that kind of thing, and I can blame it all on my grandpa who up into his early 80s was, was, was a gardener. Uh, I, like, I like flowers, I like plants, I like perennials. Uh, and my mom's dad loved gardening too, and uh, remember that as a boy. Now, at our cabin uh, up north, in our, we have a perennial garden in the back deck area, and I have, I've currently have, and I count, Jill and I counted them this summer, we have 80 plus hostas. How many know what a hosta is? you Midwesterners, all right? I came from Iowa, I love hostas, and it's like you can't grow them here because it's way too hot, but I love, I love hostas, as you know. I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, too many to count, of irises. Irises, I got the first few for free. I haven't bought any of them. Uh, I've, I've actually gone, I'd see an ad, you know, free irises, you dig them up. I've done it, and I've gotten, I've gotten barrels full of them, buckets full of them. And uh, last year I dug them up to thin them out and I sold, this is kind of funny, I sold $170 worth of virus resumes. And I mean, I was, basically I have a half of a grocery bag full of them, giving them away almost. You pay at a nursery, you'll pay like $5 for one little plant. And so people were getting these like for a quarter a piece, super, super cheap. I had bags full of those, sold those. Uh, I have tons of those. I have... How many know what peony bushes are? P-E-O-N-Y. I love the peony flower. They bloom up in, up in Overgard from about mid-May to the 1st of June. And it's kind of, the smell is wonderful. Love those as a boy as well. I have all kinds of ornamental grasses, daylilies, poppies, red-hot pokers, Easter lilies are blooming for the second time this year. The very ones that we had here in the last few years, whatever's left over, I'll dig a hole, I'll take out, I'll cut the plant off, put a bulb in there, and water it throughout the summer because this year when it got three inches of rain where we're at, last year we got 17 inches. So we did a lot of watering this year. But uh, Easter lilies have bloomed twice this year. Uh, up to this time, said all that to say, I have tried growing cucumbers three different times. This year was my fourth try. And I tried three different times in the last 10 years, have never been successful, got frustrated, so I'm not going to grow those anymore. And then I'm on two gardening posts, or Facebook pages, I should say, and I saw these posts on Facebook saying, you know, cucumbers, look at our produce. And I was like, if they can grow them, surely I can grow them. <laughs> Have you ever tried that? 
I, I, so I went out and bought plants from the, from the nurseries, and I, I bought the little plants, planted those, died off. We had like end of, end of May, first part of June, temperatures were still getting into the lower mid-30s. And, and even, even through June, we had temperatures at night in, in the upper 30s, and that was not good for the garden this year. And I, so I bought plants, they died, I planted seeds, they'd come up, and they would die like two or three times. I planted, I planted, I planted. Well, this year, I have had a record number of cucumbers, hopefully, that you've been enjoying. There's still some back there. That is the last of them. But to date, and I'm, I'm estimating here, but I would, Jill and I would pick a five-gallon pail full of cucumbers at a time. And so looking at the weight of what 10 pounds is, we've gotten over 60 pounds of cucumbers this year. About a month ago, mom canned for us six jars of her pickle relish. To me, the best pickle relish in the, in the world, all right? And uh, I got th six jars of that, so I'm loaded up for that. But I, all these times I've tried, I've tried and been disappointed. And I've learned a lesson that is simply this. You never stop trying. You, you never give up too soon. Now, if I would have stopped, you know, in this, this past year and said, I'm not growing, I'm not going to try those no more. You wouldn't have enjoyed the cucumbers that you've been enjoying in the last, last month and a half. I would say that you might want to make sure your car is locked today. If not, leftovers will be in your car on the way out before you get there. Just kidding. But, but seriously, it's one, see, it's one thing to be defeated, to be outscored perhaps by the other team when the final buzzer sounds, but it's quite another to give up too early and to go home just because you've fallen behind in the count and things aren't as easy as you thought they should be. What am I saying? I'm simply saying your purpose in life must be pursued with tenacity, with perseverance. Now, what does that mean? Let me summarize that in three words. You need to have direction, you need to have determination, and you need to have discipline. If you look at every person who has accomplished something great in their life, you'll see these three words coming up. They were a person of direction, they were a person of determination, and they had discipline in their lives. You'll see this in leaders in the world today. You'll see this in leaders throughout history, and especially leaders in the Bible. The Apostle Paul is really a good example of this. I mean, Paul preached sermons, he planted churches, souls got saved, he made disciples, he wrote books in the Bible, he faced all kinds of opposition along the way from sickness to poverty to persecution to abandonment to imprisonment. And yet Paul kept on keeping on. Paul didn't give in, Paul didn't give up. Paul was finally able to say, 2 Timothy 4, 6 or 8, the time for my departure has come, it's near, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. Chapter 9, run to win, I have finished the race, he says, I have kept the faith. Now, he says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Friends, 
I want you and I want myself to be able to say what Paul says, God, I've done what you've called me to do. I finished my race. I've done so with excellence. God, I have given it my all. It hasn't been easy, but friends, serving God's not easy. Come on now. You see, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about his rights as an apostle, really his philosophy of ministry. And the very few last verses of this chapter are perhaps some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And today, we're going to look at these verses and we're going to talk about this this essential quality called tenacity. In other words, to live life like it matters, there are some imperatives we must resolve to live by. And I want to talk about those today. And the first one is this. Number one, don't look back. Say it with me. Don't look back. Jesus put it this way in Luke 9, 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of our service, the kingdom of God. What is he saying? The Christian life is a forward-looking life. Do this as often as you do it. He's coming again, communion. You know, it's a forward-looking life. It always looks ahead. It doesn't look in the past or live in the past. Friends, life as we know it cannot be lived in reverse. It can only be lived moving forward. Someone who worked with W.A. Criswell, who, who for 50-plus years was a pastor of the historic First Baptist Church of Dallas said that one phrase he remembers Dr. Criswell most often repeating is this, never look back. Never look back. If I had one phrase that I often repeat is, keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your focus. It's about eternity. And so he always said, never look back. Now, if you're not careful... You can waste your life looking back at where you've been. You can relive past hurts. Guess what? We all have them. We've all been offended, all right? And yet the Word of God, Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. We've we've all been offended. We've all made mistakes. I've made more than my share. And I've made more than your share, all right? We've all made mistakes. We all have past regrets and past failures. Here's the deal, though. We can't waste our life, our whole life thinking, if only this, if only that, if I refuse to live with regrets. I remember before we came here, I had a conversation. We we picked up Teresa Greenhow, missionary to India, and we picked her up from the church. Well, we were taking her from our church to a different church in Iowa, and uh, she had some services scheduled there, and, and so we're driving her across the state, and I remember not going fast because I didn't want to get there fast. I wanted to absorb as much time with her as we could, and that was the time that we received the call from this church. It was uh, August of 2000, saying that the pastor had just resigned. Would I consider sending a resume in? And I told the person, it was Jimmy Christensen, I told Jimmy, I said, well, I tell you what, I'll pray about it and fast about it for a week, and I want your, uh, where'd Albert go? 
I want your pulpit search committee, because Melinda was on that at that time, I want the pulpit search committee to pray and fast as well, and we'll see what God has for us. Well, basically, uh, I did that, and I, they did that, and, and we have both felt released to, to pursue it further. And uh, I remember talking to Teresa, I said, you know, Arizona has called me, I don't know what to do. I have plans for Iowa to stay where I'm at. The senior pastor I was serving under, Mike Kelly, had his plans as well. And I was with him for about a year and a half or something like that, uh, the second time. And I was like, what do we do? And, uh, and one of the things that came out of our conversation was, was never live with regrets. Never live with what ifs. I could have been very content and happy staying where I was at. Uh, had I known all the things I'd be facing here, I probably wanted to come when I came, all right? But pastors don't, don't always know the ins and outs of everything. And I do know, and you've heard me say this, every ch there's no perfect church here on earth, all right? Every church has problems. You just got to find a set of problems you're willing to work with and, and commit to and give it your all when, when you go there. But uh, we came out of that, meet, that, that, that conversation with Sister Teresa Greenhouse saying, I don't want to live with regrets. And so we, we forwarded it in our resume. Then they called and we set up a time, which, which was the end of September of 2000. We, we actually, it was November, 23 years ago, where we candidated. And then we came the second week of November. And so this, this November marks 23 years, which means, wow, God is gracious and I'm getting old. You know, that's what it means. But, uh, but basically, I said all that to say, don't live with what ifs. Don't live with regrets. You see, those who serve in leadership roles are especially prone to do this. You know, they look at the wins, the losses, the successes, the failures. I mean, uh, a football coach in the NFL, his, his job is usually very, very short-lived unless he's winning games because you start losing games, well, it's the coach's fault. Let's get rid of the coach and get somebody else. And then they got to rebuild the team up, the whole thing. But anyway, one basketball coach mentioned to a friend that after 15, even after 15 years, after losing a championship game, he is still tormented by some of his play calls during the final game. And he keeps asking himself, why didn't I do it differently? Who was this coach? Was he the coach of the Celtics? No. The Knicks? No. The UCLA Bruins? No. He was the coach of a little league team in a tiny town you never heard of in Tennessee. And he still couldn't stop looking back. Fifteen years later, what if I was like, okay, well, whatever, you know. Uh, to be clear, it's good to learn from your mistakes so you don't repeat them again. I've even learned from the mistakes of others because, wow, if you did it that way, I don't want to. I don't want to go down that road. You know, I want to learn from your mistakes as well. But uh, it's a bad idea, even though we can learn from our past. It's a bad idea to wallow in our mistakes. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul, kind of how he lived his life, for he said in Philippians three thirteen and fourteen. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Even in this morning's text, in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, therefore, he says, I do not run like a man running 
aimlessly. In other words, I have purpose. I have direction. I have aim here. I do not fight like a man beating the air. I'm not just shadow boxing here. You know, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about keeping our focus, always moving forward, not living behind, not living in the past. You know, it's living forward rather than living backward. Two weeks ago, I mentioned uh, George Ellen, the NFL coach, who had a sign on his desk that said, is what I'm doing right now taking me closer to my ultimate goal of winning? This is why you and I must ask ourselves, am I pursuing the prize or am I still parked in the past? Let me ask you this morning, are you pursuing the prize or are you still living in the past? To live your life like it matters Make it a point, number one, to never look back, to never look at the way things have always been, thinking, well, there's no hope for change for me because there's always hope in Christ. The second thing is this. Number two, don't give up. Number one, don't look back. Number two, don't give up. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon said, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Proverbs 24, verse 16. You see, it's not that we never make mistakes. We certainly do. The difference, however, is that we don't use any mistake as an excuse to quit, as an excuse to give up. We get back up, and we do what? We try again. And if we fall, we get back up, and we try again. Hallelujah. I am glad that God allows U-turns. I'm, I'm glad this morning that God allows in our lives, the, allows us the ability to keep on keeping on, to, to get back up and to say, God, forgive me for this, for that, whatever I've done, but God, thank you for being good and gracious and God for offering me forgiveness for whatever. William Blake said this, mistakes are easy, mistakes are inevitable, but there's no mistake so great as the mistake of not going on. True. See, when you fall down, when life knocks you down, when the battles seem to go on forever, that's when you and I are most likely to throw in the towel and quit. But that's when you and I need to press a little harder and push a little further. Now, in the movie, Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone, and, and to date, I have not watched one of these movies. I know about them, but I've never watched them yet. All right, I just haven't done that yet. But anyway, Sylvester Stallone is talking to his son about tenacity in life. And he tells him that the world is not sunshine and roses, that it's mean and nasty, and no matter how tough you are, it'll sometimes beat you to your knees and keep you there if you let it. But then his character, uh, Rocky, says, to his son, you know, he says, you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't how hard you're hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Then he said this, that's how winning is done. That's how winning is done. Now, it may not be grammatically correct, but in every measurable way, this statement couldn't be more accurate. See, it's never a question of getting knocked down or falling down. We're all going to fall down. It's inevitable. It's a question of, are you going to get back up? 
Are you going to keep on, for us, following Christ? Are you going to keep on running the race to win? Babe Ruth used to say, you can't, you just can't beat the person who never gives up. You just can't beat the person who never gives up. And that's true. Another way to say it would be this. A man who won't be stopped can't be stopped. Remember Ross Perot? He said this. Most people, no, just, remember, you know, you know Ross Perot, right? I should say, it, most people give up, I can just see his voice, his, his screechy voice. What a choice for VP, but I'll go on. Most people give up just when they're about to achieve success. They quit on the one yard line. They give up the last minute of the game, one foot away from winning the touchdown, Ross Perot. While the Apostle Paul says in today's text, verse 24, run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, live your life like it matters. Don't give up before you finish the race, before you cross the finish line. Friends, the ribbon's out there. You can see it. Keep on keeping on. Keep on running to win the race. Run in such a way, Paul says, as to get the prize. Run to win. Back then, it was, as I said, it was, it was a wreath of, of leaves and sticks. You know, whoopee, give me the bronze, silver, or gold for today, you know. But you think about how much people invest in, in, these, uh, in these games. Today would be the equivalence of the Olympic Games and how much the family invests in their, in their son or daughter, and how much money it costs them to get to that place as running the race, if you will. But basically, the admonition is, you've done all that, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. You know, get the prize. Go, if, in my vernacular, go for the gold. You know, don't give up. To live life like it matters, don't give up before you cross the finish line. Now, there's a poem I've used for a number of years, and I haven't used it here for probably over 10 years. But the poem is called Two Frogs. How many remember that poem from me from years ago? Just checking. Nobody. You do, kind of? I used to have it memorized, don't have it memorized no more. But it goes like this, two frogs. Two frogs fell into a can of cream, or so it has been told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep, the cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, said frog number one. It's plain no helps around. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, crew world. And weeping still, he drowned. But frog number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise that as he licked his creamy lips and blinked his creamy eyes, I'll swim at least for a while, he thought, or so it has been said, the world couldn't possibly be a better place if one more frog were dead. And so for an hour or more, he kicked and swam, and not once did he stop to mutter, and then he hopped out by the island he made of fresh churned butter. <laughs> you see, frog number two didn't let his present circumstance determine his future outcome. In other words, frog number two used adversity to get him out of his predicament. I love this quote from John Newton, the dude that wrote Amazing Grace. 
He said this, and I quote, I am not what I ought to be, and I am not what I want to be. I am, I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. What is he saying? God's still working in my life. Man, I like that. Church, this is a call to perseverance. A call to keep on keeping on, to move forward in the Lord. Never give up. Third thing is this. Number one, don't look back. Number two, never give up. Number three, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Listen to what Paul said, verse 27. He says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself, the great apostle Paul, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, when we fail, we struggle with the temptation to quit. That's true. When we succeed, we sometimes struggle with the temptation to coast, to take it easy, to compromise, to give a little less than 100% from here on out. Once we succeed, we will inevitably find ourselves presented with the opportunity to let down our laurels and to give it all away. There are more examples here than I have time to, to number, be it in, in ministry, in business, in politics, in sports, and especially in relationships. See, when you get what you've always wanted, you will be given at some point the chance to throw it all away. Don't make that mistake. We see it happen among the rich and famous. It's easy for us to say, well, yeah, we're above that. I, for one, never need to win the lottery. Number one, I don't play it because I'm, I'm better at math than most who play it are. The odds are against you. But I've also read the stories over the years of the winners who most, most die as paupers. And they have so much heartache, they don't know how to deal with it. I'm not saying, hey, if God wants to bless you with the, with the whatever lottery thing with the millions and billions, so be it. But uh, most people, most people that win it end up not in a good place. All right. Now, even if the apostle Paul knew that he had the potential to be disqualified from the race, I thought, well, where does that leave the rest of us? I mean, if Paul was aware of that, shouldn't we be aware of that? We'll get into more of this in the next chapter, chapter 10, looking at Israel's example. I mean, they had everything going for them, the provision of God, the, the supply of God. They had everything going for them, and yet most, not all, but most died in the wilderness. Pre-read chapter 10 for next week. But if Paul had this you know, idea, well, I might become disqualified, where does that leave us? I mean, think of even today any high-profile Christian that you admire, be it Max Licato, uh, the late Billy Graham, Tim Tebow, whoever it might be. We all have something common with them, and that is this. You are both the same in this way. Either you are going to grow spiritually and if you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to take the same steps to do so, or you both will end up in a, in a, in a bad place 
but, but to grow spiritually. If, you know, for both of us to grow spiritually, there's going to have to be involved in that Bible study, no doubt, prayer, worship, service, attendance, fellowship, those kind of things. And if you think about it, no level of achievement exempts anyone from following the fundamentals of spiritual growth. It's true for all of us. We're all at the same level that way. Athletes never get to the point where they no longer need to stretch out before a workout. Even the greats still need to prepare for each competition. Well, friends, this never ends. Not even when a player is headed for the Hall of Fame. All right, unless they're retired type of thing. But in the same way, Christians never get to the point where the, basics, the basic necessities of growing in the Christian life are unnecessary. In other words, we never get to a point in our lives where we can say, well, I've studied the Bible, I don't need that anymore. I still learn in the Sunday school every Sunday. All right? We never get to the point where we don't have to love our enemies. We don't have to serve with humility or give sacrificially or walk obediently. See, in this way, living the Christian life looks the same for an old saint as it does for a new convert. The basics, I'm simply saying, the basics never change. Those who live life like it matters understand this principle, and they understand that the Christian life requires the same discipline today as it did in the Apostles' day, as it did, as it does in Paul's day. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever. In other words, let me just say it this way. You never reach the place where you can coast out the remainder of your calling. True? Those who live life like it matters never sell out, and they never set their calling aside, even when success makes it possible. Instead, we learn to run the race to finish the race, and to win the race. We need, every one of us needs to cross the finish line. Every one of us needs to hear the words of Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. You've completed what I've given you to do. See, we started out this morning talking about direction and determination and discipline. Direction means that you don't look back. You don't live in the past. Direction means you keep moving forward one step at a time. Determination. Determination means that you don't give up, not even when it's easiest to give up. Instead, you pick yourself up and you try and you try again. Determination. And then we have discipline. Discipline means you don't sell out. You don't kick back. You don't coast. In other words, you cross the finish line with the same level of commitment that you demonstrated coming off the starting block. You were running a good race, Paul told the church at Galatia, but who cut in on you? No, no one's cutting in on me. I'm going to finish my race. That's, that's what we're talking about. That's why you and me must stay tenacious. That's why, church, if there was ever a time to call the church to perseverance, it's now to persevere. It means you never quit. You're always moving forward because you never quit. And so may you and I resolve 
to live each day of our life like every moment matters. Because truth be told, every moment matters. Let me just close this morning by sharing with you some scriptures. They're not on the PowerPoint, but some scriptures on this topic of being tenacious, of persevering. Galatians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good and well-doing. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Church, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Grandparents, parents, your kids will come to faith in Christ if you keep on believing and praying and fasting for them and saying, God, lay hold of the hearts of my children. Lay hold of the hearts of my grandkids. God, lay hold of the hearts of those in my family that don't know you. My brother, my sister, my, my mom, my dad, my grand, whoever it might be. We will reap a harvest Bible if we don't give up. Therefore, verse 10, Galatians 6, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, the household of faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. There is be ye steadfast. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Once again, the call to stand firm, to be steadfast, not to let anything move you, to stay on course, to run, to win. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. In other words, don't flinch in the fight, maintain your ground, press forward. You see, we are living in an hour where a lot of people are letting up in their commitment. And yet I see this as an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to rise to the occasion, to be light and salt in a messed up world. You see, God has placed the church in a messed up world so the messed up world will become less messed up. Why? So more people can become Christians. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hallelujah, God's with us. Even Jesus promised, as you go, go into all the world, preach the gospel. You know, disciple people, you know, win them, baptize them. But he says, and, and I'll be with you always. We're not doing this alone. We have divine help. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. This is as plain as you can get. Never tire of doing what is right. See, the last days, according to the Bible, will be characterized by deception, by wars and rumors of wars, if you heard what happened this week, Israel is now at war. Hamas, the, the jihad, uh, it's, it's a mess. And, and Israel has striking back. But wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, nation rising against nation. Many, Jesus' words, many will turn away from the faith. There will be an increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. Cold love, family betrayal, 
people not coming under spiritual authority, children rebelling against parents, pestilences in various places, great distress and fearful events, great signs from heaven, persecution, perplexity in the roaring and tossing of the sea, hurricanes, you know, we have tsunamis, all that in light of what Jesus said. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24, he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Once again, a call for endurance. Mark 13, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Luke 21, by standing firm, you will gain life. We have Romans 2, 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. The King James says, by patient continuance. By patient continuance. In other words, you're moving, you're moving forward. You're not looking back. You're moving forward. Uh, Romans 5, 3 and 4. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. What is God after? He's after character. Christ-likeness. And God will allow us to go through stuff to produce in us the likeness of Christ. Not always easy. Trust me. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. We'll get there in a, in a few months, probably. Yet love always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Love always perseveres. Perseveres. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. It come, if you look up the word perseverance in the Bible, you're going to see it over and over again. Someone said this, perseverance is what you get when you don't, when you don't get deliverance. And repeat that. Perseverance is what you get when you don't get deliverance. Been praying for Jill for 15 plus months now. Perseverance is what I got because we don't have the answers yet. Found out a little more this past week, but we're still, God, what's going on, all right? Sometimes we get to choose, and sometimes it's out of our hands, but we always get to choose our response to what we're going through. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And Christ's perseverance. Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Next verse, Hebrews 12, 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What is the author of Hebrews saying? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. That's what he's saying. Verse 1. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Back to 1 Corinthians 9, run the race to win. How do we run? We run with tenacity. We run with a heart that perseveres, that doesn't give up, that doesn't look back, that doesn't throw it all away, but says, God, I see the goal. I see the finish line. I am going to cross it. Amen? 
See, the greatest danger confronting us is the temptation to return to the way things have always been. In other words, to finish in the flesh what God has begun in the Spirit. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. by faith, and I love this one, by faith he, Moses, left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. And it says this, he, speaking of Moses, persevered because he saw him who is invisible. How do you see someone who's invisible? Faith. Faith. Why don't we per- persevere? Because we walk too much by sight and, and not enough by faith. You see, the Christian life is considered to be a marathon, not a 100-yard dash. And 40-plus years ago, when I walked down an aisle to the altar to repent of my sin and get my life right with God, 40-some years ago, I'm going, God, this is all for you. And I'm not looking back. And I haven't. I haven't been perfect by far from it. But God, thank you for working in my life. And here we are, 40 years closer to his return. Some of you have been serving God for 50, 60, 70 plus years. God bless you. Thank you for your incredible, incredible example before others. Hebrews chapter 10, 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what is promised. You need to persevere. And we have Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. I'm about done here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest. And I love this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardness. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you facing trials of many kinds? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, (laughs) because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I can guarantee, I can, I, I, if I can call up this morning those who have been serving Christ for over 50 years, you will see in their lives the mark of perseverance. And, and, and you will see a maturity about them. You'll see that things don't shake them like they used to when they first got saved. Why? Because there's maturity there. There's completeness there. They're not lacking anything because all they have is found, all they need is found in Christ. James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then James 5.11, as you know, we consider blessed 
those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen the Lord finally brought about. Well, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. One more scripture, Philippians 4.1 says this, Stand fast or firm in the Lord, dear friends. Stand fast, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's all stand to our feet. The call of God. The call to not look back. The call not to give up. The call not to throw it all, throw it all away. But the call to live a tenacious, persevering life before Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us not to be just hearers of your word this morning, but God, to put into practice the things that we have heard. And God, I pray for those who have gathered today. Maybe they have felt recently like throwing the towel, giving, it, giving in, giving up, saying, God, it's not worth it. Help them to realize today it is worth it all. Help them to realize, God, that they, they need to stand firm, stand fast in the Lord to persevere and how perseverance develops character in our lives. God, give us all a tenacious spirit within that doesn't quit, that doesn't look back, that doesn't give up, that doesn't give in, Father God, that doesn't throw it away, but says, God, this is all for you. This is all for you. Help us, as Paul admonished the church in Corinth, help us to run the race to win to do it for a crown that will last forever and ever and ever. This morning you've come. I'm just going to challenge you. If you're not where you need to be with God right now, I'm going to call you forward and say, God, do a work in my life. God, I'm away from you. There's sin in my life. There's things in my life that shouldn't be in my life. But God, today, I want to lay that at the foot of the altar. God, I want to give it to you today. And I want to, God, with your help, I want to run the race to win. I want to run with perseverance, with a tenacious spirit. If that describes where you're at today, with God, without God, wherever you're at spiritually, and God's speaking to your heart about what I shared on today, I want to ask you to stand, to come forward and to step out from where you're standing and say, Pastor Brian, today, I need to make a commitment to God. I, today I need to move forward in my relationship and calling with God. God's been speaking to me about this. And you want to make that commitment to God. I'm not here to embarrass anybody, but I did notice in the Bible that when Jesus called people out, he called them to follow him publicly. Publicly. And so I'm calling you to follow Christ publicly. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. It's his kindness the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And if God's been speaking to your heart about some of these things, and you need to get things squared away with God, I'm going to call. I'm calling you from where you're standing to come forward and say, Pastor Brian, this is where I'm at today. And you lay some things at the foot of the altar, giving you opportunity to act on what you've heard. Just hold this for a moment. God speak into your heart. Obey the Holy Spirit. I know he's speaking to hearts. Obey him. Obey him. Father, as we conclude this service, thank you again for your word. Thank you, God, for giving us this great word of encouragement this morning from, from the Bible that 
Paul wrote and, and, and just challenging us, God, to run, to win. And as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, God, even for myself, knowing that, that Paul realized, hey, I don't want to be disqualified when it comes to the end of things. But I myself want to make sure this is, this is being applied in my life as well. Father, that's my heart. And that's our hearts today. And Lord, help us, God, not to look back, but to move forward, to look ahead, and to keep our eyes on the goal, on the finish line. In Jesus' name. Lord, bless your people now, I pray. I pray, God, that, that you would bless each and every individual who is here, God, as we leave this place today, God. May your word just continue to, to speak to our hearts, God, and, and bring the application into our lives, we pray in your name. Amen.